0: the guys back in the back room that a couple of weeks ago when you had your bad snow and ice and all here, I tried to feel sorry for you. <laughs> but uh, it didn't get too far. When, when Cletus and I started down on Friday, uh, we got down to the first intersection that where we have to change routes uh, about 25 kilometers or so. We needed to turn right except the road was closed. And, uh, and the OPP doesn't like it if you get out on them when they're closed. So, uh, so we had to turn and go north to go around and uh, finally made it. But uh, it, it made me curse the snow just a little. I have Cletus with me this weekend, so uh, that's good. That proves she's still alive and, and we're still together. When I think about that, I remember, and some of you will remember, uh, when Cledith was away for four years looking after her folks, and during that time, Thelma Hardenberg passed away. And so uh, I was to do her funeral, and and in the process of doing the funeral, I mentioned that uh, I had visited with um, Thelma just a couple of days before she passed away, And and I said, you know, she was worried about other people more than herself, even though she had suffered with cancer for a long time. And uh, I said, you know, she was concerned more that my wife and I were separated than she talked about her own deal. Well, you know, I just, I never thought about that. But when we went downstairs for lunch, uh, Margaret Cargan came over to me. She got right up in my face and she said, did you know what you said? I said, well, yeah, I think I know what I said. Why? She said, well, you said that you and your wife were separated. And she said, there were a lot of people here who don't know anything about your situation, and so they... <laughs> so I learned to be more careful. Um, with, uh, with Key, uh, things are going pretty well. In fact, it was interesting... When we had our, the annual meeting at the Meaford Church, uh, it was noted that the church had not sent the total they were supposed to send last year for support. And by the time the uh, meeting was over, uh, they had decided they would send 5,500 this year. And, and I told the treasurer I would be sure that he did. And we appreciate that. Key days coming up in May. So keep that in mind. We look forward to that. Um, Bob is going to do our reading.
1: Morning, everyone. Our scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of Romans, chapter 6. Romans 6, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 8. Romans 6, verses 1 through 8. It is on page 942-943 in the Pew Bible. The scripture reads, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How could we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. May God bless the reading of the scripture this morning.
0: I love the book of Romans, and this weekend we filmed uh, the four programs for March, and uh, we began a series on the book of Romans that I believe will be a useful. We did have one discussion, by the way. Um, we considered that we would put on the list of credits uh, that uh, the neckties worn by the speaker were donated by Marvin Johnson. Uh, Marvin and Meldred moved, you know, into a smaller place, so he had to get rid of a bunch of ties. And, and thankfully, uh, I was the recipient. You know, the passage that was just read is kind of an, an interesting and unusual passage, we would think. Why would we think that if God forgives sins, we ought to for- sin a whole lot so that he'll forgive us a whole lot? It doesn't really seem to track. The grace of God is sufficient to forgive us, but we should not abuse the faith. I want to look a little bit this morning at the book of Malachi, uh, the last book of the Old Testament. The minor prophets are interesting because of the things that they deal with and the circumstances that they were in. And so we want to to look at from the standpoint of grace. In fact, uh, when I first worked on this lesson, I called it um, Bored with Grace. But then I thought more it should be abused faith or abused grace. After Malachi, uh, God didn't speak to the people anymore for 400 years. There was that period of silence between Malachi and the book of Matthew. It wasn't until, in fact, the coming of John the Baptist that things really start to happen again as he comes preaching, as he did in the wilderness. In post-exile Jerusalem, the spiritual conditions confronted by Malachi were distressing. Um, Things were, were really bad. And it was was a sad situation for him. Now, during that time, or at least in in those days, we have the restoration period, which began with the decree from Cyrus uh, to allow the people of Israel to return to Israel. Hopefully, they would go back and rebuild the city and everything would be fine quickly, but it wasn't took a long time before they finally got around to, to getting the walls built in the time of Nehemiah. And so it was during this time that the prophets Haggai and, and Zechariah they tried to spur the people on to get this work done. But they were kind of complacent. You know, it's it'll get done. In fact, in fact in scripture we have this criticism You you live in your paneled houses while the house of God lies in ruins. You know, it's easy for us to get tied up in and interested in the things that we possess and perhaps a great deal of concern about what's happening in our life without feeling the responsibility we ought to feel as people of God. It's about a hundred years after the first Jews had returned from Babylon, and still, you know, things were not good. The people, in fact, the, the idea is put forward that the people no longer knew God. And, and it's interesting, uh, you know, uh, I, I would suggest to Bob, by the way, that, uh, that his wife is getting back home next Saturday, right, Saturday? And Valentine's Day is a couple of days before that. You should maybe take note of that. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, you know, we, we, we need to, to recognize. But here, the, the people say, um, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? You know, how have you loved us? Does God love you? Do you feel do you feel the love of God? I, I sometimes feel the love of people. You, you know, I, I love to hug people and, and let them know I appreciate them and, and love them for who they are and what they do. But even more than that, I love God. Because I know that, that God is with me every day. I know that Jesus is with me every day. He said I will not leave you nor forsake you. He's always there. I know I can always depend on him. And then thankfully, on top of that, he gave me the church so when I, when I need something with flesh on it, I can get the, the, the love from you as we share as the people of God. But these people are saying, hey, you know, you love us? What, what have you done? There was a general lack of respect for God. The people were irreverent. They didn't have the, didn't approach God the way they should. The priests were negligent. You know, and and I always think it's interesting when we read about that, because the priests, everything the priests had, every blessing they enjoyed came from the people. You know, because they didn't own their own land. They didn't have given to them the possession of a section or whatever, and, and so they depended on the people, but ah, you know we'll get around to it. Do you remember that years ago uh, the round to it you know it's just you know, it said to it on one side, I, maybe round on the other, I don't know, but anyway, it was about the size of a silver dollar, and uh, you know you, I'll, I'll I'll get this done when I get around to it well. That's kind of the way they were. They refused to fear God and despised his name. Look at verse 6 in uh, Nehemiah chapter 1. Aaron, or a son, honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name, but you say, how, are we dispi- how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By, uh, by saying that the Lord's table may be despised. So here, you know, he's saying things are in bad shape. I mean, if your priests, under the old law, if your priests aren't doing their job, that's pretty serious business. Because they were in charge of helping the people be spiritual. Helping them honor God. And yet, they aren't doing it. According to to chapter one, and I encourage you, if you haven't read the book of Malachi lately, when you get home, read it. It's an interesting book. But he talks about the fact that they had offered blind and lame and sick sacrifices. You remember what the deal was in bringing an offering to God under the old law? It was to be perfect. No broken bones, nothing. It was to be a perfectly healthy animal. And yet, they aren't doing that, he says. And and look at verse 13. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick. And this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hands, says the Lord? A good question, isn't it? You know, they they have just looked. Now, here's a question. How, what was your attitude this morning when you got up and it was cold outside and it was so nice at home, so comfortable, so warm, had the television, had the refrigerator, you know, you got to, Got to have this stuff, so. But here you are, sitting in this building. But what was your attitude in coming? I love the statement in the Old Testament, my heart was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. You know, it's a good question, brothers and sisters, for us to ask ourselves. You know, when it comes to to Sunday morning, we've had a busy week. We've had to deal with all kinds of stuff in the past week, and, and Saturday, of course, uh, you know, that's, well, the ladies were busy yesterday with the ladies' class. That was a good thing, but it, if it isn't something like that, you're busy on Saturdays, right? There's always stuff to get done. Be nice to sleep in Sunday. Yeah, we could sleep in. Do you see it as drudgery? Many refuse to take God's warning to heart. Chapter 2, And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Wednesday, or um, Friday, whenever it was, Friday when we filmed, uh, one of the the programs, the second program, I think, uh, is entitled, Called to be Saints. It's very interesting when you look at the religious world's view of saints. <laughs> and, and I hate to share this with you, brothers and sisters, but most of you ain't one of them. Sainthood is for those people who have done some kind of outstanding thing and are set apart and venerated as a saint. But scripture is very clear. You're called to be a saint. And, and you have to work at that to do it. But you're called to be a saint. Not only that, you're called to be a priest. The priests of God. Each of us as priests of God have a responsibility. That is, to share the message of God and spread the news of what he has done. But you know, he says things are in bad shape. They have corrupted the priestly covenant of Levi. They have departed from the way of the Lord. They cursed the people, or caused the people to stumble over the law. They showed partiality in their priestly functions. You know, I, I don't know exactly what that means. I've studying it. I've thought a lot about it. I know exactly what it means. It, you know, you, somebody comes and you don't want to do their, their offering. Because remember, under the law, you didn't do the offering. The priest did. You passed it to him, and he did it. And so I don't know exactly what that means, but certainly they weren't treating everyone the same. Their worship had already become stagnated and vain, and, and little by little, their worship became mechanical. Now, why is that important? Why is it important for us to know about that? Why, why did Malachi write about it? Well, I believe he wrote about it, if I understand Scripture, because he was moved to write about it by the Holy Spirit, right? Right? But why did the Holy Spirit want him to write about it? Because the exact same thing can happen to us. Our worship can become mechanical without thought behind it, without really giving our heart in the worship. They imagined that performance of the bare act itself was sufficient to produce the desired results regardless of the character, attitude, or intent of the worshiper. Now, in fact, they calculated that even the outward act could be trimmed and reduced to a convenient medium. Look at chapter 3 starting at verse 8. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how, have we, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? The answer, in your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me. The whole nation of you bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test. I love that. I love that thought. You know, if if you want to know about the blessings of God, do what he says and feel the blessing that will come. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fall shall not fail to bear says the lord of hosts then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight says the lord of hosts you know they they were really failing why because they offered god leftovers worship was a matter of mere convenience, not sacrifice. Will a man rob God? He says, but you've robbed me. You've robbed me. I don't know about you, but that passage comes to my mind every once in a while when I put my offering on the plate. You know, unfortunately, for a lot of people who have a budget, there's there's a lot of people that just go by the seat of their pants and they have, they have no idea. They have no budget. They make no plans. But, but there are people who have a budget and in that budget, they have made a commitment to give to the Lord. But guess what's the first thing in the budget to be cut? You know? If I need to... You know, I wanted want to do something or need to do something, I need some money. Oh well, the Lord won't miss it this week. It's a concern. They were offering animals that were blind and lame and sick. They had a false form of godliness. Second Timothy three verse five talks about the people had a had a, a spirit but but it wasn't right. It wasn't according to what it should have been. They weren't really being the people they should be. And and so the question is for for us, if in fact we're guilty of kind of letting things slip a little bit and, and, you know, is it because we have become bored with grace? Is it possible to become so far removed from God that people have no way of conceiving of who God is or what he wants? Is it possible? I don't know about you, but my answer to that would be yes. I've known people who were servants of God for a long time, who for whatever reason drifted away and and now have nothing to do with Him. You know, it's possible for it to happen even to us. They didn't know right from wrong. At least they didn't acknowledge it, I thought. Uh, among other things, there's some, some good lessons to learn, I think, from, from Malachi. He reminds us to never forget how important it is to remember God. <clears throat> you know, one of, the, one of the best ways to start the day is before you do anything else. Thank God for life. What a, what a joy it is, the first thing each morning. And you know, I've come to really appreciate that after a few years ago and the problems I had. You know, every, every morning when I open my eyes and it's light outside, at least I hope it's light outside, sometimes uh, it's not quite, but Lord, thank you, I'm here today. Help me to use it to your glory. He reminds us to never forget how important it is to fear God. And that's a good kind of fear. To, to fear him as we would fear authority. You know, I, I fear the OPP sometimes. I won't say any more about that. We'll move we on. The church can learn, I think, four important principles from Malachi. One is to, to, to fear God is taught rather than caught. We don't just automatically fear God, and, and I would change that word, really, from fear to respect, to respect who he is, to respect his authority, to respect what he's done for us, but that's something we have to develop, you know, I've, I've noticed in the bulletin, which I'm thankful to get each, each week, that there's been several baptisms this year, that's wonderful, that's a, that's a great way this year, or maybe toward the end of last year. And Anyway, you, you know who you are, okay? And, man, that's, that's good news. That's good stuff. You'd li- love to hear that. Um, but, you know, really, really respecting God isn't something that happens just because you go in the water and out. It's something you have to work at. You have to listen to the Word and be taught by Him. Secondly, there is a vital connection between acceptable worship and God and the godly character. Um, look at First Samuel, fifteen. You know, by the way, this is just a personal opinion. Okay, it, but it won't cost you any more. Uh, I think of all of the books in the Old Testament. First and second Samuel are two of the most interesting because he you know he's an excellent writer and he talks about some major things that go on. Here in chapter fifteen and verse twenty two um, Am I in the right place? And Samuel said, Has the yeah, has the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen better than the fat of rams. Is is the Lord happy that you're here today? I think so. I believe that that when we come together as people who love him to honor him in in our worship, I believe God's happy about that. But here's the real question. Is God happy with me tomorrow? Is he happy in how I live day by day? Is he happy how I treat people, how I and how I honor Him? You know, it's a it's a question that is certainly worth our consideration. Number three, to offer God our leftovers is a sin. You know, we we need to seek. Do you know the passage? Seek the word first seek first the kingdom and its righteousness. And that's you know we we need not to offer God our leftovers and that's in terms of ourselves. You know, we need to give ourselves in his service. We need to be seeking ways. You know, I I noticed in the bulletin the plan to put together an advertising piece. That's good stuff. But if they're placed at the back of the building and lay there week after week, they're nothing except recyclables. You know, it's, it's only useful when we give of ourselves because, and, and this is important, if you give that piece of literature to somebody, you need to be ready for their questions. And you need to be ready to share your faith. You need, as Peter said, to be ready to give a reason for the hope that's within you with meekness and fear in terms of time how much time would you do you give to the lord in any specific way every you know th- every week you're here so you know this counts some time you can mark this one down but then what else do you do you read the bible at all do you pray at all you know, that's the question. Do we, do we take some of our time and give it to the Lord by talking with him and seeking his wisdom? What about in items of service? Do we, do we seek to be servants? And then, uh, this is the hardest one. In terms of money. Money. You know, I wish that we could, that the church could operate without money. But, you know, it just can't get done without paying the bills. Number four, there is a radical difference between right and wrong and good and evil. Big difference. And we need to understand that and work to be sure that we're on the right side. So, your favorite word, conclusion. Conclusion. God chose Israel, and God has chosen the church. He expects us to make his name known among the nations. I wish that we could, when we make it known, we could actually always see results. Unfortunately, we don't. And yet, I don't know about you, but I've seen situations where we ministered to someone 20 years ago, and then all of a sudden, now, they see the need for connection with God. So don't give up just because people don't respond immediately. Because the church is the foundation of truth. When people become bored with grace, the grace that costs God the Father his Son, becomes cheap. Just cheap grace. And when it becomes cheap grace, it means almost nothing. In fact, I should take the almost out, shouldn't I? Because in in fact, it's nothing. The result is what we see in Malachi. Malachi was really getting on the people because of their irreverence, because of their neglect, because of their empty worship, because they were giving God the leftovers. God is calling us to a radical form. Luke 9, do you know what it says? It talks about what's involved in living for Christ. It talks about what it means, really, to be a Christian. Chapter 9, and notice verse 23. Okay. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You know, the Lord didn't say take up the cross once a week. You know, he said we needed to do it daily. To follow him. It's only when, when our relationship with God becomes our number one priority that we're going to really enjoy the blessings of being a child of God. And this is the grace that Jesus is calling us to today. And blessed are they who, by simply following Jesus, are overcome by this grace. And do you understand what I mean by overcome by the grace? You know, once in a while there there are people who who give me a gift. And I and I really appreciate that. I I, I appreciate their love. But their love doesn't begin to commence to start to compare to the love that God has for me. And so, I'm overcome by his grace. Blessed are they who in the knowledge of such grace can live in a world without losing themselves in it. That's the danger. The danger is that we we get lost in the shuffle. And so I remind you, I remind myself that God's grace has a limit. It has a limit. He is not going to provide us with the joy of eternal life unless we are willing to commit to him and walk with him. We're going to sing a song. I got it right this time, number 920. And, uh, you know, if you're here and you're not a Christian, boy, no better day than today to put on Christ, coming and repenting of sin, confessing your faith in him, being buried and raised with him. If as a Christian you're struggling and it would be helpful for us to pray with you, then let us know that. Do it as together we stand and sing.